0: This is Supernatural Selection on DeviantBehaviorRadio.com, hosted by Kevin the Bastard. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of Supernatural Selection. Again, I am Kevin the Bastard, and I am happy to have once again with us the... uh, the Jack Hanna of the show, Mr. David Davis.
1: <laughs> I, I prefer uh, the title Not-So-Bastard, but I'll take Jack Hanna of the show as well.
0: Yeah, but uh, I'm, I'm just so happy to have you back. You are so responsible for getting this show started. I am so happy to have you back. and We're going to talk about one of my favorite UFO incidents of all time. The Hopkinsville Goblins. Now, David, you're going to be presenting this episode, and I really appreciate that because this is this is like your bread and butter. This is your thing, right?
1: Yeah, I'm just kind of obsessed with this story. It's one of my like all time favorite like UFO encounter stories. It's just there's so much going on. It's so cinematic. It's
0: perfect. Oh. I- Absolutely, it is a fantastic story. It would make a great movie. I'm a little surprised it hasn't been turned into a movie or an episode of the X Files at some point in the past.
1: Uh, it was. Um, it wasn't an, an episode of the Project Blue Book show that was on History Channel for like a
0: season. Oh, I've got to check that show out, man. I know it's about like J. Allen Hynek and someone else. Yeah, I think and, I uh, think the
1: guy who plays Littlefinger from Game of Thrones plays J. Allen Hynek. Oh really? I think so. I think so.
0: Oh, that's amazing! I can't wait to check that out.
1: Yeah, we'll have to give that a try.
0: Yeah, um, but like I've been obsessed with the idea of checking out that show because I love Jay Allen Heinic because he's just one of those dudes that started out as a skeptic. He invented the swamp gas excuse and then looked at the ones <laughs> he couldn't solve and was like, maybe there's something going on here.
1: There's more than swamp gas.
0: It's definitely definitely not that swamp gas. So David, let's talk about these Hopkinsville goblin boys.
1: Alright, so what do you know about them? Just real quick. Oh I
0: know I know quite a bit. It's basically a siege situation where uh family was hanging out playing cards and uh, they saw a meteor. Uh, somebody saw a meteor and then Goblin showed up and started attacking the house and they showed up in town talking to the sheriff and the sheriff was like, well, these guys are obviously scared. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. it's definitely one of the more interesting UFO invasion stories.
1: Yeah, uh, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with it. I also compare it to Waco. We could call it UF Waco. <laughs> That's great. I love it. So, yeah, basically the the Hopkinsville Goblins, there's a bunch of names for this incident, but they're part of what's been called the uh, Kelly-Hopkinsville Encounter, although it's also been called the Hopkinsville Goblin case and the Kelly-Greenman case. But the Greenman Greenman thing is like a separate thing. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But what it was is this uh, close encounter event in 1955, uh, somewhere between the unincorporated township of Kelly... And the town of Hopkinsville in Christian County in Kentucky. So this is like a uh, South story, you know. And it, yeah. all the characters are very much in line with what you would expect from Kentucky, which is fantastic.
0: Oh God, no! I love the idea of all these. I mean, here's the thing: as like people always talk about, like rednecks being like these unreliable sources. I'm like, dude, this is perfect because they don't really have the intelligence and imagination to make this stuff up.
1: Mm-hmm, and that'll, that'll play out, um, not to insult all people in Kentucky. Oh, absolutely not. But that'll play out in the story as well. So, uh, this case is particularly important to ufologists, you know, because it's one of those most highly documented, like, close encounter situations. And it's also, mm-hmm. like, in popular culture and ufology, it's like the codifier of that little green man trope. But, yeah. again, we're going to have to kind of get into that because these things were not green. So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, no,
0: we'll we'll definitely get into that because it's it's funny how stuff will like evolve like that. It's like a game of telephone.
1: Um, and so the reason the story is cool to me is that, that it's it's entirely a siege story. like it, it's like a Hollywood film. you know this this family being attacked at their homestead by like aliens for several hours. Um, just a fantastic, fantastic narrative that like someone really needs to capitalize on.
0: Oh, I swear to God, man, it's amazing. It reminds me of uh, the sequel to E.T. that they were working on, where it's was called, like, I think it was like Night Siege or something. It was about aliens attacking the house, and E.T. shows up to rescue them. <laughs> and it's the same general idea. And I really think someone needs to capitalize on this, like your idea for the comic script with, like, the pickled alien arm. Mm. That's just, like, such a great idea. It's like, you, like I said last time, you gotta kiss them. <laughs> arm if you don't take a sip of that there whiskey
1: well and you know what's funny is i was kind of writing this uh episode i was also thinking about that potential like story and like um trying to figure out a way to get the people into the mines to deal with like the um, silver object and i i have some ideas so i'll talk to you about that later but definitely like oh, great. I, I think we need to collaborate on this because oh i'd love to yeah um, so, uh, my main source for this episode is, uh, a book, uh, more of a report, uh, Close Encounter at Kelly and Others of 1955 by Isabel Davis and Ted Blecker. Um, mm-hmm. I also kind of, like, went to history.com and a few other websites just for, like, an overview and to make sure that I was getting the order of events right, but most of my yeah. research is pulled from that incident report by Isabel Davis and Ted Blecker, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit mm-hmm. about the origins of that in a bit as well
0: yeah and this is this is a great case to go over because there is so much information about it there's like direct sources there's like these stories that came out afterwards that say they're like oh there's like 14 of these guys and there's only like maybe four of them so
1: you know and and the other thing is like with the big cases and ufology uh like number one you have mothman but, like, close mm-hmm. to it, with number two, it would probably be this Kelly Hopkinsville incident. Uh, it's just oh, yeah. one of those, like, if you have a pantheon of the greatest cases, at least these two are, like, right there at the top. Yeah. Uh, so, do we want to start getting into the incident?
0: Oh, absolutely. Let's get going on this thing, because this is this is something people know need to know about, and... I just want to go ahead and restate that, uh, like, our first episode was 30 minutes, but, like, these episodes will go on as long as they have to. <laughs> so, you know, we're just going to go into this and see how long this goes.
1: Yeah, I so, just, I want to tell the story, like, as completely as I can, because <clears throat> it is, like, an incredible story. I just, I love the story. Really and really
0: I absolutely adore this story.
1: All right, so... The first reports of the incident occurred in the evening of August 21st, 1955, at the Hopkinsville Police Station around 11 o'clock at night. Uh, So what happened was, at the police station, this agitated Sutton family, the the name of the family was the Sutton family, they arrived Mm -hmm. at the station and they just started ranting at the officers, telling the officers their stories.
0: Which is great, because one of the things that the officers said about this, and this is one of the reasons why this one sticks out to me, Unlike, say, some of the other UFO cases, these guys actually were terrified about something. The police officer said, specifically, these guys experienced something that scared all of them. Yeah. And that is is the most important thing. These guys were not acting. They had something happen to them.
1: Yeah, and just imagine, you're working 11 o'clock at night, and it's probably a pretty slow police station. All of a sudden, like, 12 people burst in and just, like, screaming about, like, little goblin-type things. Holy crap! That is, like, you're going to be talking about that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Honestly. So, uh, about the family, like, the family, as I mentioned, uh, there were at least 12 people involved in this, like, what they call this family unit. So the Sutton Mm -hmm. family was very large. There were about five adults and seven children who were witnesses to the the event at the farmhouse. Mm Mm-hmm. So the family, like the term family, I, I don't know if it's necessarily like a misnomer, because it was kind of like two different families living together, it seems.
0: And that's the thing about broods. They always end up being like multiple families, but you go with one name because, holy crap, who wants to keep track of all
1: that? You know what? You're so right. I wish I would remember the word broods because that is like the perfect description for this, and it also fits <laughs> in with Kentucky. So, um, yeah. So, so part of the whole uh, Sutton brood, was uh, the Lankfords. Now, the Lankfords, uh, that family was headed by uh, the matriarch who was a widow, uh, Glenny Lankford. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had her kids Lonnie, Charlton, and Mary, who were, I think, like 7, 9, and 12, accordingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also had Glenny's two sons from a previous marriage who were, like, the Suttons, uh, specifically, like the titular Suttons. Yeah. This included Elmer Lucky Sutton and his wife (laughs) Kara, and John Charlie J.C. Sutton and his wife Aline. Okay.
0: First off, I just need to say that you know you're in trouble when your primary witness is named Lucky.
1: You know, and and the other (laughs) thing is like with a name like Lucky, you expect to be missing like a toe or a finger or something. Oh my God! Yeah, no, he's
0: nice. Lucky he done chopped down so many trees and ain't died. But like one of the things that I really want to point out real quick about Miss uh about Glenny is that Glenny, and this is gonna come up later, Glenny did not allow alcohol in her house. She was a teetotaler.
1: Now, now, that so, being like, said, like, even though she didn't allow alcohol, it, it, you know, this is Kentucky, this is rural Kentucky, so, like...
0: Yeah, okay, maybe somebody drank a beer before they came in, but I have a feeling if somebody came into Glennie's house and was drunk, she would have kicked their ass out of the
1: house. Now, see, I, I could see someone, like, storing a bottle of something in a tree nearby, you know what I
0: mean? Sure, yeah, but, you know, they're not, like... Super sauced,
1: at any rate. Yeah, so. yeah, there was no real evidence of... Well, we'll get into that later, but yeah. It's yeah, yeah note let's that, move on. Yeah. Um. So, also, there was Aline's brother, O.P. Baker. I'm not sure what the O and P stand for. <laughs> um, and then, lastly, there were two people who were visiting, the Taylors, uh, Billy Ray and his wife, June.
0: Billy Ray, uh, not related to Billy Ray Cyrus. You know what, I'm just going to go ahead and say that O.P. stands for O.P. Parker Baker.
1: You know, that sounds incredibly on the nose, so that's probably what it was.
0: Yeah, let's just go with that. O.P. Parker and uh, the Taylors, Billy Ray and June.
1: And you know and what I appreciate is in the story, like the two main characters are Lucky and Billy Ray, which are just absolutely fantastic uh, you know, it names so, for Kentucky protagonists.
0: It is so Kentucky,
1: it's ridiculous. So, um, you know, it, we talk about, you know, this whole thing being so Kentucky. So the homestead was very much like 1950s rural Kentucky. We're talking mm-hmm. about like a three-room house. Um, you know, and there was no running water. There was no telephone, radio, no television, or books because, you know, books are Satan's vessel.
0: Oh, obviously. I mean, that's a given. And to be honest, and this is going to sound kind of horrifying, this sounds a lot like my grandmother's house.
1: I was going to say, this also sounds like places in Kentucky today still.
0: It sounds like Mississippi today, (laughs) because my grandmother didn't have, like, power until someone insists you need ceiling fans or we're all going to die. And that was sometime in, like, the 70s.
1: You know, and I I, I don't want to like make fun of them for not having books, you know, too much. But also, like, you could you could put books in a house and not have to use power or anything. Yeah. You know, you know. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, come on, the Bible's a book. Yeah, like, I, I wonder if there was even a Bible there. Probably there was.
0: I don't know. Maybe they just passed it down mouth. You know, uh, like you know, uh, uh oral history, and may I don't know. It's kind of
1: weird. So you know, another, another way to kind of like describe this family. Uh, I have a quote from Police Chief Russell Greenwell, who was the, the guy at the, the station when they arrived at 11 o'clock at night screaming their heads off. Uh, and this is <clears> what <throat> he said about the type of people the Suttons were. He said, quote, "These aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help." What they do is reach for their guns. End quote. Oh my God! So yeah, good old country folks. You can see where this is going. You know, with the mention oh of my, guns.
0: Oh my God! This is this. There's a still somewhere on this property. I guarantee you. So maybe Glenny doesn't know about it, but there's a still on this property.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, with the the young men on the property, like it wouldn't surprise me if they were like brewing up some hooch somewhere. Oh my God! Yeah, and I'm not gonna lie. It's probably some pretty good hooch. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, getting back to kind of like the narrative at hand. Describing the incident, the Sutton's claim that around 7 p.m. on Sunday evening, uh, a family friend, 20-year-old Billy Ray Taylor, went out to get water from a well. Mm-hmm. And uh, regarding Billy Ray, he was visiting from Pennsylvania with his wife June, uh, and the reason he knew the family was that he worked with Lucky Sutton at a carnival.
0: Oh, my God. Can we talk about the fact that this... It- it had to be
1: carnies. <laughs> you, you know, um... No judgments, uh, you know... I no have... judgments, but, like, seriously, this is some traveling people
0: of questionable, uh, moral fiber traveling around, setting up, like, deadly rides and and scammy stuff, and then, of course, they see the aliens.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, um... You know, and that, I think that Kearney background definitely fill, uh, you know, factors into what happens after the event, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Oh, oh yes, please. So, so what happens is Billy Ray Taylor is out at the well getting some water, and while he's doing this, he sees what he described as a silvery object that was, quote, real bright with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow, end quote. So what does this remind you of?
0: Meow 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 meow
1: meow meow. It's the on cat. Yep, it's definitely on cat. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm picturing this like football shaped silver meteor with like a rainbow trail behind it. Very yeah, very prog rock cover, if you will.
0: Yeah, that's it. You know what? I'd actually like to see that just for my own mental well being to know that something that beautiful could be in the universe. Yeah.
1: So you know he sees this like. Fly, uh this flying silvery object with like this rainbow colored exhaust and then mm-hmm. he he uh, apparently watches it like move over the house passes over it and then just stops in midair and then it just drops to the ground.
0: Right, not to be offensive to the aliens but uh that kind of sounds like their engine died and <laughs> they just dropped.
1: Which, which reframes the entire story as these guys just trying to get help and the locals shooting at them. I know, it
0: really does. It sounds like, hey, man, do y'all have any, like, your, you some
1: some uranium or anything? Get off my lawn! <laughs> you got some jumper cables? <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, one thing I want to point out with this is that it's kind of similar to a lot of UFO sightings where the... Um, the motion of the UFO kind of breaks the understood mechanics of flight during that time. So, you know, when you talk about, like, old-school 1950s UFOs, the motion, you know, uh, sounds like more modern, like, helicopters or even those jets with those Mm -hmm. uh, vertical takeoff abilities.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting that, like, all these UFOs really have this bizarre experience, like, this bizarre ability to just, like, completely defy physics, Well, you and know, uh, I get
1: that. You know, it's kind of like one-upmanship, because every time we develop something, probably from repurposed alien technology, we start getting UFOs to do even crazier shit. Like, you know, how yeah. how, like, modern UFOs, like, we have jets, which are fantastically complex and maneuverable, mm-hmm. but the modern UFO sightings do, like, really weird, impossible stuff. They really do, and
0: uh, we're going to get into this later, but this really kind of goes into the Looney Tunes logic of a lot of this stuff.
1: Of course. Um, You know, and then this this situation with the UFO is also in line with, like, a rash of UFO sightings over, like, the previous five or so years. Uh, In our source text, Isabel Davis mentions, like, in early 1955 reports about a series of UFO encounters in South America that began to roll in. Uh Uh-huh. I think you... Do you, do you recall anything going on? Uh,
0: yes, I do. I remember some alien abductions happening uh, in the 1950s in South America. There was one gentleman in particular whose name escapes me that was abducted and completely sexed up by
1: aliens. <laughs> so he's like uh, Randy Quaid in... Uh, uh... Independence Day. Yeah, well, sort of. It's kind of like uh,
0: more of a porn parody of Independence Day when you get down <laughs> to it, because it's like, uh, hey, you. And I love the description of the guy getting abducted because, like, the alien woman and him get it on, and she gets up and she's like rubbing her belly with uh, like this yummy, yummy thing, <laughs> and then points up, <laughs> and he's so like, "It's so good. Oh, it's so good. Give me more of your loving, Mr. Man." And then they like take off, and he's like, come back, man. I want more. She used him for his love yogurt, or his earth yogurt. My God, yeah. I mean, can you imagine you're just sitting there in a field naked going, come back sometime, I really like that. That was some shit, man. I'm down.
1: (laughs) So I'm not sure why you're going with that voice, but we'll just run with it.
0: Well, it was South America. (laughs) So I just kind of, I'm sorry, I apologize, but like, it's definitely like, I don't know. I must shut up. So.
1: <laughs> okay. So, um, the important thing about this Kelly incident is also not the first reported sighting of, like, little humanoids either. Um, this is true. Yeah, many of these incidents feature creatures who are similar to the Hopkinsville goblins. I think there was one in Eastern. Kentucky or something, where a woman had to, like, swerve off the road because some of these mm-hmm. things were walking across the road or something.
0: And there have been so many reports in the 50s of little green dudes with big no- big noses, uh, just, like, aggravating motorists.
1: <laughs> so, um... Billy Ray, like, he, he returns into the house immediately, I assume. Uh, like, like immediately just kind of, like, drops the bucket. You, you just kind of see that visual play out in your head where he's just standing there. He's got a bucket of water and then just, like, drops and he just walks away.
0: Oh, yeah, no. I can totally picture this.
1: So, you know, he goes inside, tells everybody what he saw. Nobody believes him. Everybody just kind of laughs it off, right? So, you know, and about, about an hour or so later, the family dog starts barking. So, Billy Ray and Lucky, our two heroes, decide to, you know, check it out. You know, what's going on with the dog? Um, Mm -hmm. Looking out their back door, they then see a strange glow and a small humanoid creature standing in that, like, radiating field of glowing.
0: Now, before we move on with the rest of this narrative, I really want to point out that, again, these are two Kentucky natives that have just seen something come down in the sky, and then there's, like, a short dude in the woods.
1: We we talk about uh, we talked about high strangeness uh, last time you and I were talking about stuff, and you know there's a lot of that in this story as well. Now, as far as how the uh, the, the creature is described, um, the figure seemed to be about three and a half feet tall with a quote oversized head, almost perfectly round, arms extended almost to the ground, hands had talons, and its oversized eyes glowed with yellowish light. Unquote. They also said that the body sh- uh, shivered like a silver medal, and then later drawings by the witnesses would also include large, pointed ears, giving them that kind of like goblin appearance. And like, if you look at the the illustrations, like the illustrations are fantastic. I love the look of these things.
0: Oh, there are so many great illustrations by these people.
1: Yeah. So you know, they see this like little humanoid thing standing in front of like a, a glowing field. So their first impulse is to grab their guns. <laughs> they had a 20 uh, gauge uh, shotgun and a 22 rifle.
0: I don't know what that thing is, but it ain't breathing my air. <laughs>
1: exactly. God damn,
0: that is insane. I mean, like this is this is like your first experience with an alien species, and like their first experience with humans. And your immediate response is that thing has to die.
1: Well, you know, I I don't blame them because I'd get freaked out if I had a gun. I'd at least have the gun on me. I mean.
0: I'll say this, if I'm living in rural Kentucky with a gun, yeah, okay, sure, I'm going to shoot the fuck out of that thing.
1: (laughs) You know, it's, um, I I understand grabbing the guns, but it's just also very, very, very funny to think about. That's the first impulse, which I get, but it's also, we we can also laugh at that. Yeah, no, totally. All right, so now here's where things start getting into that like high strangeness territory,
0: which is my favorite fucking subject. We're going to get into that more toward the end because I've got some ideas about this.
1: And and what what how would you def- how would you describe high strangeness for a listener?
0: High strangeness is like things stop reacting the way you expect them and they kind of take on this looney tunes quality in that things don't react the way physics would dictate. Like, let's say Oh, I don't know, you shoot at something, and it bounces off, and they start acting like Daffy Duck.
1: Okay, so now we're getting ahead here, but uh, let, let me go ahead and go through this part, because this... Yes, this, please this, do. This moment is incredible. It's amazing. So, this this little figure starts approaching the back door, and they fire at it. Um, they see it, They say seem to have like its hands raised in the air, kind of like it was being held at gunpoint. You can kind of see it, like its hands up, like, hands up, all right. Um, I come in peace. Please do not shoot me with your gun. You know, and then, like it was being held up at gunpoint. It's like, well, yeah, no shit, because you haven't held up
0: at gunpoint. <laughs> you got a fucking twenty-eight gauge shotgun pointed <laughs> at this
1: thing. Of course, it's like, don't shoot. So, so yeah, they they um eventually they say that it does this like weird little flip and then flees into the darkness. So I wonder if like when they shot it, it kind of like flipped in the air like a cartoon character. You know what I mean? It's like you yeah. know. You know, because they say the creatures were impervious to bullets, um, but yeah, I just I just picture this like thing standing there, like in a Looney Tunes cartoon, and then ping, it hit, it, lo- it launches into the air, does a little flip. You know, it's, just, yeah. it's ridiculous. No, absolutely. If you play Daffy Duck in this situation,
0: I wouldn't bat an eye. I mean, like it in the versions of this I've heard, they shot at it, it bounced off. And I, in my head, it's going, whoo, 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 and bounces off like Daffy Duck.
1: Yeah, now, see but when I, like... I when I hear it, like when I read about it scuttling off, I just think like uh, Zoidberg from Future Wee's*.
0: Oh, exactly. <laughs> yes, no. It's like
1: squatting down. It's got its hands up, clapping. Just whoo, 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 whoo. so you know, they say these things were impervious to bullets. So a bit later, they see another one of them appear at a, like, a side window at the house. Um, so naturally, they fire at it from inside through the screen. Oh, yeah, no. I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. At, at that point, you know, you have to. If it's coming up to your window. Um, yeah. So again, they hit it, and it does that little flip thing. And then uh, Ms. Lanford, uh, Mrs. Lanford eventually, you know, she also describes it like another one approached the door. I wasn't sure if they shot that one, too, but my guess is probably and probably the same well, from, same situation uh, happened.
0: Yeah, I'll go ahead and say that, like, a local neighbor actually reported that during this incident he heard at least four or five gunshots. And there may have, may have been more during this, but we're not positive because, um, well, you know, the guy eventually went inside and was like, well, they're obviously shooting at bobcats.
1: Well, and that's also part of the reason, like, the police, you know, came eventually after being... Uh, you know, contacted by the Sutton family at the stations because there were these reports of gunfire. Someone had thought yeah. there might have been like some sort of like local dispute or something like that. So, eventually, Billy Ray steps outside, and like uh, the house, there's not really a porch, but there's this overhang where the roof overhangs mm-hmm. on over the side of the house. So he steps out under that. Now, he doesn't notice, but a couple of the people inside said that they saw a small hand reach down and touch him. And, in, and a couple of the descriptions I read uh, suggest that they, like, grabbed his hair. Mm-hmm. So they freak the hell out and pull Taylor back, and then Lucky starts firing at the overhang.
0: Yeah, let me tell you, man, there is a fantastic illustration of uh, his hair being grabbed by one of these things on, like, the, uh, the overhang. And this is straight out of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. This is, like, Absolutely horrifying looking stuff because look on the dude's face and the thing like just grabbing his hair like, ah, I gotcha, motherfucker. <laughs> it's amazing.
1: Well, and you, you just think about that like cinematically and you can see the scene in the movie where he's just standing on, on this overhang and you see this tiny little clawed hand reaching down oh from the God. top of the screen behind him. Absolutely. It's just, it's just, there's so many just like wonderful visuals baked into the story. Yeah. So, you know, so Lucky um, starts taking a shot. Uh, he took a shot at a uh, at the overhang, and then he noticed another one of the creatures in a tree and shot at it. So, you know, these things are, like, apparently all over. Yeah. Well, What was interesting this time, and we have another case of this high strangeness, is that after he shot the one in the tree, it seemed to float down to the ground and then scamper off. Can I
0: just say that the word scamper is highly appropriate? Because... I, I really just picture these things acting like children as they're doing this.
1: You know, and and that's actually kind of a pretty good description. Like, when we get into, like, the larger um, nature of ufology and these, like, extra dimensional potential beings, uh, they sometimes mm-hmm. take on, like, childlike forms and have childlike behaviors. So, you know, yeah. and plus, like, this little, like, three-foot-tall, big-eared goblin thing kind of, like, scampering off in the woods is just incredibly adorable to me.
0: I, I know, I know, and I think that's why. You know, we'll come to that later. We'll talk about that later. I've got something in mind specifically, but I know you mentioned this later, so let's move on.
1: Okay. So um, from here, the the incident kind of slows down a little bit. Uh, the mm-hmm. the the family decides to just stay inside the house. You know, hopefully, riding out whatever this is. And this is. I think that's called common sense. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> exactly. And, and this is, like, for a few hours, and all the while they're uh-huh. in their house, they keep hearing, like, scratches on the roof, you know?
0: Imagine that for a second. Imagine you're in your little rural house, you've got, like, a hurricane lantern in the living, in the kitchen where you've been playing poker, and you're terrified. There's these, cr- you, you've shot at these creatures, and then you just hear them, like, crawling around on the roof for, like, Four hours.
1: Mhm. And and the, the the other thing is like, yeah, they did not they, they didn't have electricity. So there's like not a whole lot of light. So you're essentially sitting there in the dark. I know that they probably have, like hurricane lanterns, but you know, you're sitting there in the dark and you just hear scratching in the walls and it's like very Lovecraftian.
0: Yeah, this is literally the most terrifying situation I could picture myself being in.
1: Yeah, it's it, absolutely terrifying. So like eventually they like they they give up and they um they they make a dash for their cars and uh you know drive off to the police station around eleven p.m.
0: Yeah, and that's that's they were in the un- unincorporated community of Kelly and they drive all the way to Hopkinsville, so that's like a decent amount of time.
1: Right, they arrive at the police station. You know, the, the twelve people like freaking the hell out and telling the story. So, Police Chief Greenwell calls for backup, and eventually, like, state police, military police from Fort Campbell, and a photographer from a local paper, the Kentucky New Era, kind of arrive at the, the house to investigate um, that, that night. You mm-hmm. know, and, and they find, like, shell casings, but little else, no sign of the goblins, no footprints, no scratches on the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they do uh, they, also what they, uh, they don't find like signs of drinking, you know, it's, which is important for a situation like this. If people tell Absolutely. you, oh, we, if we saw goblins you're like, okay, so how much have you had to drink? Um, yeah. That being said, Davis and Blecker's report, um, our source for this episode, would mm-hmm. later kind of contradict these claims.
0: As I said, yeah, definitely the matriarch of this brood. Was a teetotaler and she would not allow alcohol on her land. Now, they did say they found like two beer cans of indeterminate age, which means somebody had like a beer, which you're not gonna hallucinate goblins on like one can of Budweiser.
1: Right, and also like I don't know how large this homestead was, I'd imagine it fairly sizable. So it could have yeah, been, I mean, like, a you, local kid going out into a field to have a beer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, they didn't say it was, like, near the
0: house. They just said they found a couple of cans of beer. And also, this is, like you said, it's going to be a sizable homestead because, like, these people are, like, kind of self-sustaining because they're rural. They've got farmland. They probably have some livestock. They probably have a garden. And there's got to be enough
1: room for all that. Exactly. So you know uh, they they don't find a whole lot of evidence uh, when they, they check out the place, but one one element that kind of helps to corroborate the story uh, was the drawing. Uh, what were the drawings that they had the adult witnesses do? Now the oh, thing about,
0: absolutely.
1: so the thing about the drawings is they were all quite similar. Um, mm-hmm. But the most important factor in this was the fact that like when the drawings were done, the men were separated from the rest of the family because the men were away from the farmhouse like for hours dealing with the police. So the idea of like them being able to coordinate with family back home about what these things looked like seems kind of far-fetched. Now Agreed. That being said, a skeptic could argue that they had decided uh, on the appearance before they went to the police, but we're not going to be skeptical about this because that's no fun. <clears throat>
0: Definitely not, because these are not highly educated people. They have been living in a rural area. They're not terribly imaginative, and uh, they were panicked. I mean, like, if you've planned out, well, here's what the aliens are going to look like. You're going to go in and be like, oh, no, we don't saw some aliens that attacked our house. These people were in an absolute panic. I can't imagine there was a lot of panic going on with this. Maybe pants shitting, but <laughs> not pan I mean like but not planning. They, yeah. And they
1: had to try to keep the kids calm. There were children here. Yeah. And you know and the you other know, thing, they had a lot going on. They they certainly were not improv comedians because there's no way they could have like yes and their way into oh, a description. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yeah, oh oh some... yeah, it had it had big ears and big eyes. Yeah, they're There was no opportunity for that.
0: Now, the thing that gets me, and we'll get into more of this later, is they're all the same general shape, like you said. You know, short, long arms, big round heads, uh, glowing yellow eyes, and big goblin ears. But some of the drawings have noses. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into that later, because I want to talk about the super spectrum a little bit, but we'll get into that
1: later. Of course. So, um you know, the police uh, and the associated law enforcement entities that were there, they con- mm-hmm. kind of conduct their look, and then um, they leave.
0: Yeah. Now, they did find that they the family had shot through the screens, of course. There was evidence that they had fired on something.
1: So, you know, after the police left, the Sutton family kind of, obviously still freaked out, uh, were at their, their homestead, and they made claims that <clears throat> around 2.30 in the morning, The creatures returned, but then shortly after that, all activity ceased.
0: Yeah, now let's talk about that return at 2.30, because I I saw some more information about this. Imagine this. You're done with the law enforcement. They all leave. Everything's calmed down, and some sense of normality is returned to the house. And the matriarch is like, well, fuck all this. I'm going to bed. And she lays down, and she's trying to sleep, and she opens her eyes... And then there's this glowing fucking goblin <laughs> just staring in the window at her.
1: Just just tapping just, at the window with his little paw saying, I live,
0: bitch. Hey, how you doing? You okay in there? <laughs> and... She freaks out, mm-hmm. and from what I understand, somebody ran in with a shotgun and pointed it at the window, and the thing ran off. And I'm not going to lie, that is the most terrifying part of this entire thing, when you think it's over, and then there's one right there in the window, like, you're not done with me.
1: You know, and that, that would be like, in the movie, that would be like that perfect ending, where it's just like, Oh, okay. God. You know, and then yeah. just, you know, like the thing, like the guy comes in with the gun. The thing scampers off, and then the guy and Mrs. Sutton are just kind of, or uh, Mrs. Langford are just looking at each other, and then like smash cut to the credits. Oh yeah, no, we ain't never gonna be done with this. I can <laughs> hear that. Oh man, so we gotta write this shit. <laughs> so, so that's the basic story of the encounter itself. So let's talk a little bit yeah. about the aftermath. So, this wasn't the only invasion the Sutton's dealt with. <laughs> uh, they yeah. were they were besieged by tourists, the media, and mystery-seeking nerds like you and me. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, the thing about these people, these people were basically, like, forcing their way onto the Sutton property, and then would go and, like, insult them, you know, calling them, like, ignorant or saying that they were trying to scam people. Um, like, just, you know... That kind of entitled entitled behavior that people engage in when it comes to stuff like this.
0: All them carpetbaggers showing up from the north.
1: Yep. But also, you know, it didn't necessarily help that perception of them when they started charging admission to the property. So what they would do is they would charge about 50 cents to enter the property, a dollar to hear the story, and about $10 to take a picture. But my question is, take a picture of what?
0: I don't know what they're taking pictures of other than holes in the screen. But... And here's the thing, I'm not really mad at them. These people are obviously private, they're living rurally, they don't have a lot of people come out except for family and friends, and their privacy starts getting invaded by these dipshits, and they don't want any attention.
1: I, I, they're kind of lucky they didn't get shot at
0: by the Sutton's,
1: you know, to be uh, honest. Especially given like how paranoid they probably were, you know, because they were isolated and had to deal with this shit. I can imagine some idiot, like, walking up to their place at, like, 11 o'clock at night. Hey, are you guys the Goblin people? Yeah, oh my
0: god. I'd There'd be a shotgun in his mouth. It'd be, like, something out of, uh, like, a, we keep bringing up Looney Tunes. It'd be like, you're gonna leave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, so the, the Sutton's kind of um, dealt with some backlash regarding that, but also, Mm -hmm. you know, part of the aftermath is that, like, the incident grew in notoriety, but it kind of morphed into the origin of that little green man type of story. That's
0: what I love about this, is that it's the origin of that phrase.
1: Yeah, because you have all this local lore, and, you know, things get mixed up, wires are crossed, and the Kelly incident got, uh... Conflated with like another story around the same time involving a a tall green man and a flying saucer, you know. So it's just one of those things where it's like you know, um, all, all the stuff just blends together.
0: Yeah, and and, and it's kind of understandable at the time. Like today, we can look up specific information on like Wikipedia or YouTube or wherever. But, like, now, like, then, it's much more difficult because, I mean, all you have is newspaper reports and eyewitness accounts.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and Kentucky newspapers, which, uh, you know.
0: Oh, my God, yeah.
1: Dubious at best.
0: <laughs> yes. Kentucky newspapers back then. There we go. There we go.
1: So, um, you know, another part of this aftermath was the incident also caught the attention of the Blue Book, uh, the Project Blue Book program. And according Mm -hmm. to the incident report inside the Project Blue Book, uh, notes, uh, they didn't really follow up on the event, mostly just checking with the Fort Campbell team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at least not officially, uh, you know, because this, uh, report by Isabel Davis and, um, and Ted Blecker, it was eventually published by our good friend, uh, J. Allen Hynek.
0: Yeah, and let's talk about J. Allen for a second. Mr. Hynek, a fantastic researcher, eventually turned over a new leaf and became like a believer in the concept of UFOs because of the small percentage he couldn't explain, but this was old-school J. Allen Hynek, the inventor of the concept of swamp gas being illuminated. And I saw a thing about this, and he literally heard about the Hopkinsville thing, and he more or less called this a load of bullshit and washed his hands of it because this is, he said, this is too uncredible to to, to investigate. This is obviously a bunch of drunk rednecks. I'm not
1: touching this. Right. Oh, and then another weird thing about the situation was that, um... There, there's some indis- indiscrepancies with the military presence at the time, because mm-hmm. the 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 military police on site that was called for assistance was the air force, but Fort uh, Fort Campbell was an army base. So, were now here's these- a
0: question: mm-hmm. Was this before it was the air force, or was this during the time that it was the army air force?
1: That I. Don't quite know, but I think the Air Force, like, after World War II materialized pretty quickly, didn't it? Probably so, which, that is really freaking weird. Which which makes you wonder if perhaps, like, maybe it could have been, like, the Men in Black or something. But there's no, there's no, um...
0: If it was Men in Black, it was legit Men in Black in the sense that it was... Government suits showing up. Not like the weird Tulpa guys that show up and are like, What is that bin? Can I have that bin?
1: You know, and then if if that was the case, you know, if, if you're more conspiracy minded like we can sometimes be, like yes. maybe maybe the fact that these weren't necessarily these weren't necessarily military police, but perhaps mm-hmm. CIA, and then perhaps there's a reason the Project Blue Book said it was uh, hoax or it, it wasn't like legitimate was because they're trying to like keep that the legitimacy of this event buried or something like that you know it's just, you know for, for those of us who are more conspiracy minded mm-hmm. so you know in that regard the uh the this this kelly hopkinsville incident like went down in popular culture and ufo lore as a major major component and um one of those like little modern day aftershocks of this <laughs> is the charming little Kelly Little Green Men Days Festival, which promises, quote, food, fun, aliens, end quote. Um, so unfortunately, <laughs> the 2020 festival was a casualty of our current pandemic, but it looks like uh, this August they should be back doing their Damn festival. Ryan.
0: Why is it every time we do this, I want to take a road trip? These sound like so much fun. Yeah, I want to do this and the Mothman Festival. I mean, there's gonna be good food mm-hmm. and people in stupid costumes.
1: Oh, oh yeah, it's great. I mean, I was looking it up and like they get like little like uh, cardboard sunglasses that have alien features on them. They have like an oh alien that dresses up and walks around. They have like a local cosplay community come up and dresses like the Mandalorian and. All that stuff. Oh, that's
0: awesome. I bet it's like the five oh first. Yeah, it's just be...
1: it just looks like so much fun and I, I would love to do something like that. Like I, I wanna do oh a, a I wanna do a road trip where it's just let's go to these weird frickin' festivals for ufology and uh like high strangeness encounters. Absolutely.
0: I cannot tell you how much I wanna to go
1: to one of these things. <laughs> it sounds like so much fun. Yeah, they got like live music and food and everything. It's great. <laughs> I know, it's just so freaking amazing. I just,
0: we, we, we'll figure it out. We're going to do this one day, I promise. We're going to do this, and we're going to record, like, live at the thing.
1: Like, I, I think you could probably do an entire fun episode where it's just, here are all these weird little festivals that crop up around these weird supernatural and, you know, cryptid encounters.
0: Oh, Absolutely. You and me, buddy. We're gonna do this.
1: Plan out the road trip. Give people an itinerary. Like, figure out what dates so make sure you can like hit them all, <laughs> uh, and see if anyone's willing to take that challenge because that that's yeah. incredible. Um, you know, as far as other pop culture uh, references, obviously like the whole Little Green Man thing. We talked about mm-hmm. the uh, History Channel's Project Blue Book show, but um, mm-hmm. also one of my favorite Pokemon. Sableye is based on the Hopkinsville goblins.
0: I noticed that. I saw a lot when I did a search for images of the Hopkinsville goblins to explain this to one of my coworkers. Sableye kept coming up, and I was like, "Holy crap! I forgot about that." And the Japanese are obsessed with American UFO, UFO stuff. Mm-hmm. Like there are so many pop culture things they do of like the uh, the. Like the Hopkinsville goblins and like the Flatbush monster and all that stuff.
1: And only it's amazing. Yeah, you know, and only most of it is porn. So I think uh, you know, you'll, yeah, you'll, statistically, God. you'll find some good stuff. But um, yeah. No, but no, it's also kind of cool. Like you know, they they really kind of like paid attention to like the the creature when they designed it because the the mm. shiny version of the Pokemon uh, is green. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they're doing like that, uh, like the little green man thing. The, the Kelly Hopkinsville incident is also kind of important for, like, skeptics as well. Uh, it of gained course. Per, you know, it gained notoriety as part of a major paper titled Hauntings, Homeopathy, and Hopkinsville Goblins Using Pseudoscience to Teach Scientific Thinking by Rodney Schmaltz and Scott Lillenfeld. Um, it was published in Frontiers in Psychology in 2014, and it's a paper meant to teach about, like, skepticism without diving into cynicism. Like, I've read it, and it's a good paper, and I think there's good lessons, um, but it, it's that's... definitely skeptical. Well, that's, that's nice, but you're asking me to
0: trust a man named Schmaltz.
1: Now, see, I love Schmaltz because it makes for the best French fries.
0: It... <laughs> I was going to say, I would love to have some beer that has been made with Schmaltz.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh let, let's talk a little bit about the theories of what these things were. So we we have oh, a theory that please. they are that they are aliens or they could be like in, uh, other dimensional entities if you believe that yeah, like aliens right. are from other dimensions. Now,
0: when we talk yeah, we need to specify there is the nuts and bolts UFOs which are actual ships from outer space and then there is the concept of ultra terrestrials which is other dimensional beings. We're gonna get into a little bit of that as we go on.
1: So you know, as far as theories as to what happened during the incident and what these things were, uh, there are a few that are pretty predictable. So in about mm-hmm. 2006, Joe Nickel, a senior researcher, uh, a senior research fellow at the International Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, also a spoil sport, published an article <laughs> titled "Siege of the Little Green Men: The 1955 Kelly, Kentucky Incident." So, one of the things that he kind of points out in that article is that, you know, based on reports of sightings of UFOs around the time of the, the Kelly incident, he mm-hmm. proposes that Billy Taylor had seen a small meteor when he talks about the, um, the, the, the silver object in the sky like that floated over the house. Nickel right. seems to be suggesting that maybe it would have just been a meteor.
0: You know, I could see that. I'm not going to lie. I could totally see that being uh, a thing. But also, it's too big of a coincidence to have these creatures show up after a meteor. right. It's kind of, it's just too it's, it's too perfect.
1: right. you know and then another thing like nickel unimaginatively suggests the aliens are possibly birds. you know, nine times out of ten, if there's a cryptid, someone's going to say, "Oh, it was a bird." You know, it's it, an was, owl. it was a sand it's specifically crane. an owl. Yeah, so specifically yeah. he said the great horned owl. Now, in in the in his defense, you know the the great horned owls tend to be very large birds, and their features mm-hmm. can be matched up with the depicted elements of the goblins. Um, we're talking like the horns can easily be mi- misinterpreted as ears.
0: The, I uh, did the watch l- a video of that, and I can I can get behind that idea, especially with the owl's eyes glowing yellow. I can I can. Get behind that.
1: That and, like, the size of their wings, that would make them look like they have long arms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, skeptic author Brian Dunning said, quote, There are simply too many similarities between the creatures reported by the families and an aggressive pair of the local great-horned owls, which do stand about two-thirds of a meter tall, unquote.
0: Mm-hmm. I did hear that they could have mistaken the house as, like, a nest- saying that they were attacking the nest, trying to drive off the intruders. Which I'm like, okay, I could see that! Like, if I were not completely out of my mind, I could see that.
1: <laughs> like, on honestly, it's reasonable, but also, it's not uh-huh. very fun.
0: No, it's not fun at all. And it doesn't really... Like, what are the odds of a meteor and then an owl showing up on the same night?
1: Oh, well, we know that it could have at least happened once. <laughs>
0: sure. Okay,
1: but- once!
0: But... You know, that's, like you said, that's not fun.
1: But a couple of, like, super aggressive owls also seems kind of fun, too. Just these owls just just going crazy and being dicks to these people in this house. (laughs) (laughs) That'd make a good movie, too, Night of the Owl. (laughs) Night of the Owl. It's a real hoot. (laughs) Um, So, another thing that was mentioned was, you know, we talk about, like, the glowing that was seen during the night... Uh, Some of it could be attributed to foxfire, which is a bioluminescent fungus. Now, I've never, like, seen foxfire. I've heard of it. Um, You're Uh you're in that area. Have you ever seen, like, foxfire?
0: All right. I am 45 years old. I've grown up in the South. My family is from rural Mississippi, and I have never in my life seen foxfire. And the idea of both a meteor, owl's... And the owls happening to be covered in a glow-in-the-dark fungus is BS to me.
1: Well, see, when they talk about the silvery sheen on the owls, they're talking about reflecting moonlight. The, the glowing fungus would be like that aura that was, like, behind when he first saw. I,
0: you know what? I'd love to, on some level, be the, the voice of reason like you were with the uh, Mothman, but I don't buy it. <laughs> Um I just don't buy it. There's like more coincidence involved in it being owls and a meteor
1: than just fucking goblins. <laughs> um you know, it it's definitely like it, in trying to explain it, you have to like throw in all these other like weird coincidences and it's like, oh that it's it, it seems like the simpler alternative is more complex than the initial answer. It really is. You know, and then of course there's always the theory. You know, we have J. Allen Hynek, so there's the theory of swamp gas. All right, look, I'm that there's not enough
0: swamps in Kentucky to verify the swamp gas. Oh, well, I, I guess I'm my question. that out.
1: I guess my question is, did they have uh, uh, an outhouse? Because maybe like the outhouse leaked, and that made the swamp. I don't know.
0: I can only imagine there is an outhouse, but, like, I don't know. Well, okay, it's, it's like, what was it, 12 people? Mm-hmm. Maybe they shit enough.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then, like, the last theory that I kind of, like, pulled up but I found absolutely fascinating is that... Oh, I love this. That, like, I, I couldn't track down a ton of information. I just found a few passing references. But the Suttons might have seen a small chimp that was... A uh, <laughs> that had, had like, arrived in a crashed tech, uh, test rocket.
0: <laughs> so. Okay, see, the explanation I have was that it was from a carnival, which, if if that's true, look, we need to go back for a second. These guys met as carnies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They know monkeys. They know monkeys, they know chimps, they know gorillas, they know all that kind of stuff. I don't think... That they're gonna mistake a monkey for an alien. They're
1: gonna be like, "Why well, is one of them? They're chimps. Let's bring him in, and get him drunk." Right. Um. It's just if it if it were an if it were an ape of some sort, they would have they would have known it.
0: Yeah, and my fiance actually said while I was talking about this with Mike, she was like, "I feel so bad for that monkey." And I was like, "It's okay. They were goblins." <laughs> yeah, I I feel like we really need to go over the fact that like. This really sounds, and I keep bringing this up, like the super spectrum, like the goblin dimension, as it were. The world Mangonia, which if you have have not read Passport to Mangonia by Jacques Vallée, I highly recommend it because it links UFOs to the fairy folk. Mm Mm-hmm. And it talks about the idea of one reality folding over another reality, which causes the high strangeness. Mm -hmm. The super spectrum basically folded over this property, which explains the Goblin's bizarre behavior, why no scratches were found on the roof, you know? Yeah. And also, like, if this had happened even a hundred years ago, The meteor would have been a sign of ill portent, and these would have just been goblins. Right. And then somebody would have found the newspaper report and been like, well, that's obviously a UFO.
1: Well, well, goblins are gnomes as well, because gnomes were also kind of like a commonly cited thing. Oh, absolutely. All the wee folk are basically like some
0: kind of thing coming through. And this also, the you remember I was talking about how some of the drawings had noses? Uh Uh-huh what if some of of the people that saw these things saw noses? Right. Because what they're seeing is an entity, and the gap of what they're seeing is being filled in by their perception. So, like, some of them see a perfectly round head with these big yellow eyes, basically a real-life version of the sable eye, and then some of them see, like, the little dwarf dudes with the big noses, like, used to get reported in the 50s. And I'm just saying that, like... It's all a matter of your personal personal perception. You're all seeing something, but you're not seeing the same version of that something at the same time.
1: right. And you know um i you and I have talked about the web series Hellier before um, absolutely and, and I feel like we could probably do an episode on that, but this, oh god this yeah. this also connects to this whole idea because um, they start off initially kind of uh, investigating something similar to the Hopkinsville goblins, um, mm-hmm. but it kind of opens up to this larger super spectrum, um, you know, and then talking about, like, how these things may alter their appearance. It gets into the, the, the fey folk and everything like that, and it kind of mm-hmm. culminates with this uh, modern rite of Pan, uh, which is yeah. absolutely fascinating, and I, I just feel like we could probably do an entire discussion just on that, because it's... Yeah. It, because they also bring in the Mothman, and you know when when we did our first episode together, um, I had mm-hmm. talked about how like the Mothman seems to connect everything, and it's kind of the same it thing. It's kind of the same thing with the the Hopkinsville Kelly incident, is that like all of these things have this connection. So you know, it's just. Um, if anyone, I'm... if anyone listening hasn't seen Hellier, it's for free on YouTube. It's by uh, mm-hmm. Greg and Dana Newkirk of Proj- or Planet Weird. Uh, definitely worth watching. Like it's like sixteen episodes across two seasons. Very it's entertaining a hell of a show. Very, very entertaining and very mm-hmm. creepy at times.
0: Very creepy. It is now. I, I'm gonna say there were parts of it where I was like, "Come on, man!" But it was. Definitely entertaining as all Mm get-out.
1: And I think they're working on a third season, so hopefully we'll get some more updates. I hope so. Yeah, especially, like, maybe it's going to be, maybe we'll be able to do a Hopkinsville update, you know, depending on what they thought. Oh.
0: I'd love to. I kind of hope they go after the Jersey Devil. Like, you were talking about the Mothman and the Jersey Devil being linked. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've been thinking about lately is there are these thin places in reality. Like, the tri-stage area around Hopkinsville, like, around Kentucky, West Virginia, that whole area is uh, a thin place because there are so many things that happen there. There was a Kecksburg UFO crash, Mothman, Hopkinsville, all that stuff, and then... You have, like, the Bridgewater Triangle.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and then you also have all those cave systems in that area as well. Um, Absolutely. Weird, weird area.
0: Yeah, and we're, uh, just to let everybody know, we're going to do an episode on Skimwalker Ranch, me and Mike are. And, David, if I could get you involved in that, that would be fantastic. So I know you're probably interested interested in Skimwalker Ranch. You
1: know, I'd be happy to be involved with that one. That one sounds like oh, a lot yeah. of fun.
0: We're, all, we're also kind of planning a live uh, Halloween show with all the hosts, if we can do that. Oh, that's, that's kind of a...
1: That, that'd be really cool. Now, yeah, uh,
0: that'd be great. Now, I'm
1: just kind of going over our notes real quick, and apparently Mike, the skeptic, had an idea. <laughs> what was his idea?
0: All right, so I'm watching this video on YouTube about the Hopkinsville incident. That covered pretty much all the ground we've covered. Uh, and Mike put forward this fantastic theory that... Uh, Some of the local kids knew about the Sutton family and decided they are going to play a prank on them, so they put on, like, these silver costumes made out of, like, buckets and Mm, stuff.
1: Like a washboard and everything like that.
0: Yeah, all that fun stuff. And, uh, come out of the woods... And uh, they know that the family, because they're living on a farm, there's probably a lot of snakes. They've got all their guns loaded with rat shot. Mm. Which I don't know if you're familiar with rat shot, but it's basically small pellets. It isn't really gonna hurt anything unless you hit a snake at point blank range. Right. It's basically just something to disintegrate a snake.
1: Yeah, get out of here, you vermin! Yeah,
0: get it out! You
1: darn vermin!
0: I'm turning up sam right now i'm gonna shut up <laughs> but the idea mike put forward the idea that what if it's just some kids playing a prank knowing they keep their guns loaded with rat shot and they're not really gonna get hurt <laughs> i was like you know that's not a bad theory to be
1: honest uh, so did the kids also throw like a tin foil wrapped football with colored streamers over the house or something You know what? I don't know about that part. Mike didn't go over that part, but sure. We'll just throw
0: that in there and say that Mike (laughs) came up with that, too. That there was a gay pride football thrown over the house, (laughs) covered in Reynolds wrap.
1: Also, happy pride to everyone?
0: Yes, absolutely. Happy pride to everyone. We are totally down with whatever you're down with. Again, whatever you're into, DeviantBehaviorRadio.com. Supports you.
1: We we share our love with all the gender fluid goblins. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I mean that's basically it. That's all we we have on the Hopkinsville goblins. Um, like it's very well documented, but there's not a ton of variations in the documentation.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things that I love about it is there's not that much variation
1: in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then our source for the episode was a very 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 thorough two hundred something page document, um, you know, so it's like, almost like the authoritative eyewitness source of the, um, the encounter. So that's, that's what we worked from here and I think, I think it worked out pretty well for us.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you did a fantastic job on your research this week. I really appreciate that.
1: Thank you. Not Uh, bad for doing it a couple hours the night before.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. You did an amazing job and, uh, while we're talking about Amazing, I want to thank all of the listeners out there. We have gotten such a positive response from this show. There are people been coming into my work telling me how much they've enjoyed the show.
1: Oh, that's and cool. that
0: blows my mind. Uh, you guys are just as amazing as this show. I truly appreciate it. Um, I know that next week I'm going to get Adam the Bastard. Not Adam the Bastard. That's me. I'm Kevin the Bastard. We're all Bastards. Yeah, we're going to get Wayne uh, Clark Wayne on the show, and we're going to talk about ghost hunting. Because oh. he was a professional ghost hunter for four years. Oh. And uh, we're going to talk about some ghost hunting. We're going to talk about ghosts in general. We're going to talk about some theories about where ghosts come from. And that's going to be pretty freaking cool. So I highly recommend you check that out. Uh, so... David, have you got anything to promote this week before we sign off?
1: Um, so, uh, I'm going to be getting back into working on my comics soon enough. Uh, in the meantime, though, twice a week I am posting a werewolf adventure horror story. Um, you know, a little serial on Tapas. It's called Fang of Tresaria. I'm sure, uh I'm sure you're going to be able to provide a link for it in your show notes or whatever. Um,
0: yes. Send me a link, and I will get that in the notes.
1: And then I, I post the updates as they come out. So if you follow me on Twitter at HP Comics, so that's H is in Harry, P is in Peter, K is in Kite, O is in Octopus, M is in Mark, I is in Intelligent, and C is in Comic. I'm sorry, K is... A com- wow, I messed that up. Um, just, yeah, follow me on Twitter.
0: Um, H-P-K-O-M-I-C on Twitter. Yes,
1: that's it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just follow me on Twitter. You'll you'll see I do all sorts of stuff. I, uh, I post movie reviews and things like that, so... Yeah, he's
0: also covering uh, a lot of stuff with uh, uh, The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, so... Please check that out if you're a fan of The Last Drive-In. I know I am. I've always loved Joe Bob and everything he's done. So be sure to check that out. Um, Of course, you can find me. We've got so much new news. We have a new website which is SupernaturalSelectionPod.com We have shirts available uh, of the album art. We have one talking about the reptilian conspiracy. We have one with just the uh, the name using the font that we use, and we have some more shirts on the way. I'm going to be basing some on our episodes, like the Mothman episode is getting its own shirt. David, nice. It's going to be Arving Mothman at Law, <laughs> and uh, the second episode we're going to get one of just an alien sitting in a garbage can with a lid on its head, saying, "Gina left me." And then the uh, third episode will be Bob Lazar's head with lasers shooting out of his eyes. It just says Bob Laser. <laughs> so be sure to check out those when they become available. Uh, we will also ha- we also have a Twitter account now, which is SupernatPod on Twitter. And if you look for Supernatural Selection on Facebook, you can find us there. So. Uh, And also, again, thank you for DeviantBehaviorRadio.com for being our major host and probably the coolest radio station you're ever going to hear. I'm also a DJ on there. You can check out my days on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays for an eclectic mix of amazing music. So, that being said... Uh, David thank you again for coming on the show you were like like i said the jack hanna of the series i love having you on and us talking about crazy crap uh is there anything you want to talk about
1: next time um you know I'm up for just about anything but um I'll, I'll think about some topics i'm just i'm always happy to talk about the stuff with you because we do it all the time anyway so it's nice to just kind of yeah. It. so I'll, awesome I'll, I'll throw some episode ideas at you
0: awesome i look forward to them so, uh well, that's about it for this week. Thank you for listening, and uh, stay frosty out there, everyone, and I will see you next time. Have a good one. Supernatural Selection has been a production of DeviantBehaviorRadio.com. You can find it and more shows broadcast weekly at DeviantBehaviorRadio.com. Our theme music is Screensaver by Kevin MacLeod. It is used through Creative Common license, and more of his music can be found at incompetech.filmmusic.io.